Good morning, church. Um, one thing as we get started, you know, we're journeying through the Psalms, uh, and it's been such a delight and so useful during this odd moment we find ourselves in. And let me just encourage you, if you are not on the uh, pod, subscribe to the podcast channel, go and do that. Um, I can't say much about the devotions that have been out there on Wednesday and Friday, but this time of reflection song uh, has just become such a uh, integral part of my day. I listen to it multiple times a day. I know exactly how many times to fast forward to get past my own voice. Um, but I'm just so thankful for that. So I hope that you are taking advantage of this as we are aiming not just to uh, talk about the Psalms on Sunday morning, but to, to journey with them through this time and have, you know, the first week we opened it, we looked at this quote from uh, St. Athanasius where he says that all scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. Uh, and I have found that to be so true in this season, and I hope that we will continue to do, uh, to do that, um, because the Psalms do, they, they voice, uh, they're so diverse, they, do, they voice a, a whole pantheon of human emotions and human experiences, from joy and thankfulness to fear and anxiety. Um, however, it's not just these strong emotions that we see voiced in the Psalms, uh, it, there's also the lack of emotion. Um, I don't know about you, but in this wild moment we find ourselves in, uh, there are times, there are days when I'm just tired and, and apathetic. I'm tired of feeling things. Sometimes when our emotions are swinging back and forth and when there's this constant onslaught of news or constant onslaught of, of possibilities, sometimes we just, we just shut off. Our, our emotions just shut off. And as I've talked to some of you, I've heard some of you voice that same thing, just that like, that, that apathy, that nothingness that you're experiencing. Um, but what do we do when we feel that way? What do we do when we're apathetic, when we are uh, just kind of in that blah state? In particular, what do we do? We who are called to be in communion with God, we who are called to worship and pray, what do we do when we don't feel like doing those things? How do we move ourselves out of apathy? Well, thank God that Psalm 103 speaks for us here too. In Psalm 103, David is writing the psalm and it begins in verse 1 like this. My soul bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. David is commanding himself to, pr to praise the Lord, to bless the Lord, to have all that is within him unite, to bless the Lord. Psalm 103 is a call to be an active worshiper, not a passive worshiper. Sometimes we get in the habit of, of passively coming to worship or passively uh, being a follower of Jesus where we just do it when it feels right, when we feel like it. Um, and that's not a, a good strategy for a lifelong uh, uh, following of Jesus. Uh, Psalm 103 shows us that there are times where we need to move ourselves, stir our soul to worship, to lead our souls and our emotions rather than to be led by our emotions. Bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I love this, all that is within me, this call for, it, for a united front. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my head knows I'm supposed to do some things, but the rest of me just isn't into it as much. Um, my emotions aren't there. I'm, I'm empty or apathetic, and so I just don't feel like doing it. And the, the important thing, and one of the things that Scripture teaches us, while, while the Psalms express our emotions and, and, and um, teach us how to voice those things, it also guides our emotions. 
It also guides our, uh, our feelings to, where, to a proper state of being. And one of the things that we know is that we are not just emotional beings. We are not just hearts, right? We are also rational beings. And so we sometimes need to align or use our rational side to align our emotional side to all sort of align in worshiping the Lord. And that's what David is doing here. My soul, bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Psalm 103 is a guideline for how to move ourselves to worship. And it begins like this in verse two. My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. The first thing that David does to call himself to worship, to try and align his emotive part with his rational part, is he goes into the memory banks. He says, don't forget all that God has done, all the benefits of, of your relationship with the Lord. And then he explains some of those. He lists some of those. He goes through the Rolodex of what God has done. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. David has kept track of the, the benefits that God has brought into his life, of the times that God has moved. He didn't just say, oh, thanks, God, and then move on. He's got a Rolodex, a memory, a list in his head that he recalls to memory when he's feeling empty or apathetic, when he doesn't feel like worshiping, to move himself in there. We don't know the specifics of all of these things. David is speaking in general here as a guide for all of us, but it's not hard to imagine some of them. He forgives all of your iniquities. We can easily remember of a time when David was in deep need of forgiveness. Psalm 51 recounts his confession of that. He heals all your diseases. David was a man of war. And so to think that he got out of all of those wars without any scrapes is, is, is ridiculous. He redeems your life from the pit. David had many enemies. There were many times where he was on the run. When we read in Samuel, we see that Saul is trying to kill him. He's living in caves. He crowns you with, with faithful love and compassion. This is a very literal crown for David. He not only was crowned king by God's uh, uh, faithfulness to him, but God made a covenant with him saying that a, a, a descendant of his would be on the throne forever. These are things that David remembers and calls to mind in this moment. He lists through what God has done. One of the, one of the key commands that we see throughout the Old Testament for the people of Israel is to not forget, to remember. Remember, remember, don't forget what God has done. Oftentimes it's in reference to the Exodus, which we'll get to in just a minute. But how often do we forget how often do we forget in those moments of apathy and self-pity? How often do we just act as if this is going to last forever? This is all that's ever been. We human beings are terrible at perspective. We are just awful at, at recognizing that something is temporary. Um, and I, I, I can throw my wife under the bus in this as an example. Uh, sh she'll be fine with it, trust me. But my wife has uh, recently, she start, became a nurse, and she's been working night shifts. 
And um, it, it, she will have a good shift and she'll come home and be like, I want to do this forever, right? And then the next night, she'll, she'll sleep all day, go, and so I'll have only seen her for a little bit. The next night, she'll come home and it'll be a totally different person. She'll be like, I can never go back. I quit. We're going to have to figure something else out. Like, it's so hard for us to realize that these are, these are small moments, but when, when, when things seem overwhelming, we lose all sense of perspective. It, it's, it's something that we often... Um, we just do as humans. We, we so often exaggerate things that have only lasted a short time as if they've been our state forever. We, 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 we get accustomed to things so quickly and lose perspective. We have to, as followers of Jesus, as people who are called to worship and pray, we have to be people who live beyond the moment, who have a memory that lasts beyond where we are right now. We have to be able to remember what God has done. Think back. I had a, 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 a mentor one time who told me that one of the best things I could do whenever I felt God clearly talk to me, clearly guide me that has something to do with what I'm supposed to do with my life, with my call, with my purpose. He said, write it down and don't do anything else. Don't veer off that path until you get another clear word from God. Because so often it can, we, we, we forget what the experience was like and then we start wondering, we start questioning, we're wandering around thinking, okay, maybe things have changed, but we have to remember the times that God has acted, has worked. What would your list look like? How has God forgiven all of your iniquities? What are those times when you've experienced the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy of God? What does that look like for you? I know for me, it was Good Friday of 2003. I can clearly remember it. And every year on Good Friday, I, I have vivid memories of the, the feeling of having my sins washed away. When are times that God has moved in your life, has, has led you out of sickness and disease, out of those troublesome times? The, the Hebrew word there doesn't literally mean like a physical disease, like, like the, the pandemic we're living through here. It can mean troubles or things like that. He redeems your life from the pit. When are times that you thought things were over for you and God moved and acted? And not just for you, but for loved ones, people close to you. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. When are the times that God's faithful love and compassion have not left you, have stayed with you? despite where you've been. Verse five is one of my favorite verses in this whole psalm. One of my, I, I continually go back to this verse. It says, he satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. He satisfies you with good. I come back to this all the time because the first part is really great. He satisfies you. God satisfies you. So many times we have this picture of God as God being this cosmic judge or this cosmic police officer. And the only thing he does is like give commands and punishments. And there's like the overall grace that came in Jesus. But for the most part, that's what God is doing. But here, this is a very different picture of God. This is a picture of God who's aiming to make us happy, aiming to bring joy and satisfaction, that deep, long-lasting uh, a, a joy into our lives. But it doesn't just say that he satisfies you so your youth is renewed like the eagles. It says he satisfies you with good things, which I think is different. I think it's a different thing because then we have to ask what satisfies us? And are we satisfied by the good things that God is aiming to satisfy us with? Or are we trying to find satisfaction in other things? 
the things that God's not trying to satisfy us in. Scripture tells us that our hearts are broken, that we are terrible at knowing good and evil. That's the whole story of the Bible. Adam and Eve had this good creation that God had given them, but they wanted to choose between right and wrong, between good and evil, and they've chosen wrong ever since. We constantly turn good into evil and evil into good and get confused on what's actually best for us. And the story of scripture goes on and it frames redemption as not just the forgiveness of sins. It's not just about wiping away the iniquities, but it's also about leading us back to the good, redeeming us into the place where our hearts are restored, where we have fellowship with God and we become more more naturally human the way God created us to be in his image. This is what discipleship is. This is what following Jesus is, learning from Jesus is, is learning the right things, the good things, the best things. It's training our hearts to be satisfied in the things that are good. But what do we find our satisfaction in? And are we missing the satisfaction that God's aiming to bring us? Because we, we, we want to be satisfied by other things. Are we missing the way that God is aiming to sustain and satisfy us? Because we have a, a picture in our head of what that should look like. And where does that picture come from? I think sometimes, especially in our spiritual lives, we get these wires crossed where we want to be satisfied by a very experiential, um, mountaintop sort of experience with God, where we can physically hear his voice and feel his presence around us. And we have that image in our head, and so sometimes when that's not happening or never happens for some of us, um, hardly ever we, we start getting unsatisfied. We start thinking, oh, I'm not being filled with this. Meanwhile, God is trying to sustain us through our kids and our families and our church and our friends and, and, and meals with other believers where our souls can be satisfied through work, through worship, through the times when we can come together and partake of the sacraments When we see a child get baptized, those things God's aiming to satisfy us with, but we're focused on this other thing. He satisfies you with good things so that you, so, so your youth is renewed like the eagle. This is another question, another way of framing that question. What renews you? What refreshes you? Are you refreshed and renewed in seeing and experiencing the good things that God is satisfying you with? Or are you seeking that elsewhere? Renewing comes, this is what the text is saying here. Renewing comes when my loves, my satisfactions are in God and in God's will, are in the good things that God is trying to bring. That's when we'll experience renewal. And so I feel like a lot of us are walking around just so tired to the bone because we continually miss the gifts, the good gifts of God that are in front of our face, that are in the faces of our wives and our husbands, our mothers and our fathers. We're, we're constantly looking for some other good thing that's going to satisfy us. And God's like, you have this beautiful life in this child. Be satisfied in the good things that I give. We have his word, and God's trying to aim us to wisdom and and, and assurance in our salvation in his word, but we're just completely missing it because we want to hear God's word audibly spoken to us. And when we we cross those wires, we're not going to be renewed. We're not going to experience that rejuvenation that comes with the following and being in the presence of the Lord. 
Psalm, the psalmist continues, so he begins this movement of calling himself to worship by listing and remembering what God has done, the times that, that God has moved in his life and that he's been satisfied in God's good things. And then he goes to another strategy. So that's strategy A, remembering what God has done. Strategy B is in, in, in verse 6. It goes like this. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us according to our, as according uh, of what our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. David moves from the personal experience with God to scripture, to the story of God and God's people. David looks back here to the exodus and he, so it's not just personal experiences of salvation. It's also communal in, in, in this sense of what God has done for the other people of God in the past. And also the stories that we have in scripture of what God has done. But it's not just that. He mixes these other experiences that he didn't personally have, but that show who God is and why this God should be worshipped. He mixes that with the revelation that God gives to previous generations he revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He remembers who God is, the revelation that has been given to those in the past. David stands not just by himself in this, this uh, uh, aim to move himself to worship. He's not individualistic in that way. He remembers his personal experience, but then goes beyond himself and says, look, soul, you need to worship the Lord because for generations, God's people have seen that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Remember what he did in the Exodus when his people were oppressed, how he rescued them greatly. David moves outside of himself. And this is a tricky thing to do when we're feeling apathetic. It's a dangerous thing and, and our hearts resist it because when we're feeling apathetic and we're in this feeling of self-pity and just like, oh, nothing's great. Like moving outside of ourselves is dangerous because we know, we know that outside of ourselves, we're not the center of the universe anymore. Right? When you move outside of just your own heart and your own apathy and your own, when you move outside, it's like, okay, now I have to pay attention to others. And that's, that's dangerous to the spirit of apathy. But when we do it, when we move ourselves out, when we say, okay, look, I'm not the only person here. I'm feeling this way, but there have been others. People have testified. This is one of the reasons why I love scripture and I love church history. I love reading church history. I'm fascinated by stories, even little stories of people from the uh, 12th century or from the very early church hearing little stories of times when people have experienced the goodness of God. Because then in times when I'm having doubt, I can just remember, well, this has been happening for thousands of years. God has been moving and acting. God has been gracious and merciful. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. David's worship is not just based on his own experiences, but it's based on who God is, God's revealed character in Scripture. Scripture shows us who this God is. And that this God is worthy of praise at all times because his steadfast love, his faithful love is as high as the heavens are above the earth. He's moved our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. One of the ways that we move ourselves out of apathy is by moving outside of ourselves, right? By escaping our own sort of uh, uh, feedback loop that keeps us in that apathy, to go beyond ourselves and say, look, Lord, let me look at who you are, how you've revealed yourself, and how you've acted in the past. And then in verse 15, we get to the the last act of David's um, calling himself to worship. He says this in verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He blossoms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Now, if you were listening closely, you might think we just took a step back. Right, Because it was all going well, like David was remembering how God has moved in his life, and then he was going beyond himself and remembering how God has moved in the life of everyone. And then he goes and he says, as for humans, as for man, his days are like grass. He blossoms like a flower. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes. Right? That doesn't sound like something to move us out of apathy. That sounds like the, the kind of things we tell ourselves to keep us in that apathy. Um, but that's not what, what David is doing here. Um, and and, and it, the the... the The point of remembering this, of looking at the frailty of humanity is not to make us more depressed or make us more apathetic, but rather to show how great and how wondrous God's covenant is, right? David moves from his own personal experiences to what God has revealed about himself and how God has worked in scripture and salvation history to this big picture view of, of, of who humans are and God's covenant to show this contrast. Let's look at it again. As for man, his days are like grass. He blossoms like the flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him. And his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. There's this this contrast here between this absolutely frail, finite thing that that vanishes with, with no trace, no real impact, to this God who is from eternity to eternity and yet chooses to keep to aim his faithful love, his steadfast love, who chooses to make his eternal covenant with these frail things. Not based on 
who they are or what they can do, not based on, on their ability to worship. See, that's not, it doesn't say that, that the Lord makes this covenant because they worship him. No, 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 no. The Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness freely given toward the, the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. God's covenant is aimed at these frail, finite beings because he chose to direct it that way. He chose to offer his righteousness. Even in the Old Testament, we see that. This God is worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, because he has an unchanging covenant that he made, despite the fact that he didn't need to, there was no obligation, he freely gave it to us. So why would we not worship him? Why would we not praise him? David ends by going back to the command. He's now aroused his soul to worship. He's gone through these things. He's remembered what God has done for him personally, what God has done for the people of God and revealed about himself in scripture. He's, he's looked at just the, the magnificence of God's love and covenant, even though he is so frail and finite. And he ends by not only blessing the Lord himself, but by calling all of creation to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, who serve his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his work, in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Church, in these times where our emotions can be all over the place, it is, it, it is so important that we are not people who are led simply by our emotions in our relationship with the Lord. At times, we need to allow the Psalms to, to guide us in guiding our soul, in leading our soul to the best place for it to be aimed. We need to train our emotions to direct our desires and our loves toward that which actually satisfies, which actually renews. We need to move ourselves to worship, whether we feel like it or not. And you may be sitting there on your couch or at your dining room table and say, you know, I, I, it, this has not been a good week. I don't feel like it. Well, the psalmist is saying, take control. God is worthy of your praise. Move yourself to worship. Remember not just where you are right now, but what God has done in the span of your lifetime. And more than that, look at what God has done throughout history and throughout salvation history. And more than that, look at his character who this God has revealed himself to be. And more than that, look at how big his covenant is. From eternity to eternity, he has promised that his steadfast love will be on you. And he's offered his righteousness. Church, let us bless the Lord with all of our souls, with everything in us. Not because we feel it at this moment, because, but because it is right. And in it, we find joy, we find satisfaction. In it, we are led and training our desires into that which is truly good. The God who created. Let us pray. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Spirit, come and meet with us in this moment. Minister to us. Move in our hearts and in our souls that we may bless your name. Call to mind those times that you've moved in our lives, those times when you have acted and we've seen your hand at work. Let us not forget them, Spirit. Bring them to memory right now in the name of Jesus. 
Help us to remember not just what you've done in our lives, but to look outside of ourselves. Look at how you've acted throughout history, throughout your word. Let us take comfort in who you are. Your unchanging character that you've revealed in your word. And let us give you thanks. Because even though we are frail and broken sinners who continually rebel against you, you refuse to break your covenant with us. It is from eternity to eternity. Move us to worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.